morning and welcome. On this week's Countrywide, we go organic on a beef farm in County Clare. We meet food writers and critics known and loved as the gastro gaze, and we encounter some exceptional Donegal yos, yous, yos, whatever you're having yourself. Do get in touch on 51551 or you can email countrywide at rte.ie. But first. We enjoy that. That was lovely. That was a lovely reprieve from the the week of floods that we've just had. Alana, you're very welcome to the programme. That's harpist Alana Thornburg from County Mayo. And she's joining us for Harp Day. Lana Crucha, will you play for us later on in the show? Yeah, I will, yeah. I love that. We can have a little chat and a catch up and find all about, all, all about Harp Day. And that piece that you just played is Tour Dum the Love. Give me your hand. And we dedicate that to everyone who is lending their neighbours a helping hand on this very wet Saturday morning. And also in studio, uh, we have a full house today, actually, are Patrick Hanlon and Russell Alford, a.k.a. the Gastro Gaze. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Well, Thank you for having us. Not at all. You've done your press ups and everything. You're <laughs> full of... Oh, yeah. You're full of energy. Very much Just so. about had a tea and a coffee. So, <laughs> a great start. Both, yes. yeah. <laughs> well, listen, you are authors of a cookbook, Hot Fat. Mm-hmm. You are restaurant critics for the Sunday Times. Big congratulations, by the way, on your nomination for an award, the Irish Food Writing Awards, which are on, is it next Thursday? Next Thursday, yes. Yeah, in the RDS. And of course, you've big opinion. Oh, big yeah, opinions on many, food. Many, many. Can't stop talking about food. Well, you know what? We're going to have a big chat later. But I want to know that if you were planning a nice hearty dinner this evening, mm. would you consider going for a shoulder of lamb? And what makes Irish lamb so delicious? I think we would definitely, it is probably our favourite meat, I would say. It just has so much flavour. Uh, I think Irish lamb stands apart because of that sweet kind of herbal flavour. A thing I do for a slow cooked shoulder is I use dried seaweed and I cover the entire thing and it adds that extra salty seasoning as it cooks. It cooks into the lamb, it seasons it. It's absolutely Mm. spectacular. I'm starving thinking about that. <laughs> I would often use harissa um, spice blends and do a slow cook like that. Put it on some flatbreads with some nice crunchy pickles, uh, lots of different sauces, maybe even a smoked yogurt as well on top of it. Very I'm, fancy. I'm on the way over. Yeah, come look, on over. <laughs> there is more to producing great lamb than you think. And I'm sure you know this more than anyone. But Dwayne Shields farms near Rapmelton in Donegal and he is the FBD Young Farmer of the Year. Now, he wants to improve the genetic merit of his pedigree sheep so they'll make a much better price at sales. In the past, he's had to do this over years and years of careful breathing. But now, thanks to technologies like sheep surrogacy, he can do it much more quickly. He hopes that instead of singles or twins, he can produce up to eight lambs from a prize yo every season through surrogacy. 
And all this ultra high tech takes place in a shed on his farm. Hannah Quinn Mulligan went along to have a little look. Welcome, Hannah. How's things? Not too bad. Thanks for having me. Where As I pushed you? open the shed door, seven ewes were in a pen in one corner and a sedated ewe was on the table being looked at by an IVF technician. Dwayne explained what was going on. So she has for flushing. Okay, so tell me what is flushing? What is the, flush- the flushing of ewes? So I suppose it's harvesting embryos off them. Uh, they're AI'd and mated and then uh, superovulated with drugs to make them have more ovulations than would be normal. And then five days later, we harvest em- embryos off them. Five is, or is six. It's a bit like IVF. Same as IVF. Um, they get drugs to superovulate, they put up more follicles, more eggs, and then we fertilize the eggs. Okay. So that's, and that that's might the, be a prize winning yo, is that it? Hopefully, hopefully, yeah. So then she'd have young, so instead of having two young off her to sell, you'd have yeah. up, to, up to 16. And I suppose if you have five or six foundation yo's, we can flush them five or six and then build a flock around them five or six yews that are doing well. So uh, you've got surrogate yews that you've put the fertilised yeah, embryos surrogate. into. So recipient yews we call them. Uh, the embryos then they're put into them and uh, they carry the embryo no- as normal and lamb down to that then. When did sheep farming get so technical? We've been doing it now six or seven years. Uh, good days and bad days out of this process. Not going hectic today, but that's one of them things, yeah. You won FBD Young Farmer of the Year. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you very much. Was this sort of technical stuff that you're doing on farm, was that what gave you the edge, do you think? I suppose there would have been an element of that, all right. Uh, something that's increasing the sustainability of farming is high-end genetics, producing sheep that are growing faster, finishing quicker, and I suppose that's what we're looking for, breed rams for people to use that are going to go on and produce these more sustainable sheep, yeah. Yes, uh, you heard right. Dwayne is taking his best ewes and putting them on a special regimen which helps them to super ovulate. Then he can take those extra embryos and implant them into surrogates, thereby quickly multiplying the number of potentially prize-winning lambs from his best ewe in any year. But I asked Dwayne, is it expensive? Uh, aye, around €600 euro per ewe. How much would you be hoping to sell one of the lambs that's produced for them? There's a ewe last year give eight grade two embryos, seven of them hell, she's grossed 25,000 this year. Wow. Another yo with one grade one embryo, lamb doesn't come out and she's cost the same price to flush and you have zero out of it. So. What's the most you ever got for a sheep? Uh, 6,700 for a lamb. Uh, yeah, just a few weeks ago I said that's a new Irish spotted record there, I said it in Carrig and Shannon a few weeks ago, so that's uh, so far, yeah. Okay, we should talk to some people here. Yeah, Shannon. Okay. Shannon, you're the embryologist, so describe what's your role involved. Um, so I just uh, collect the eggs out of the yard when the vet's flushing them through the uterus. Um, so we just collect them in a petri dish, and then I just go in and look for them and see how many there is, grade them, how good they are, and then decide what they can go in as, like if they can go into singles or twins. But yeah, there's a lot going on. So they just they get um, just put to, to sleep a wee bit with this... Um, just an anaesthetic, and then they go under the anaesthetic machine, so they're, they're sleeping through the whole thing. Does Dwayne give you a hard time? Every time, every year, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dwayne, you've plenty of help here on the farm with you. Younger brother, do you want to come over and say your piece? <laughs> What's it like having a FBD Young Farmer of the Year as a big brother? Does he have a, does he have a sash? Does he wear a sash around the place now? Is there a crown? No? Just an ego. Just an ego? Oh! <laughs> Right. Right, let's go see. We'll go, the, we'll go now before we get any more. You, you yeah. better retreat, yeah. 
I see as well as the sheep, there's uh, a, 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 just a few dogs. So, uh, six dogs here. Uh, I, we do, we keep an odd pup. Uh, I have two real good bitches here, Floss and Liston. We do breed them all the time. Uh, with farmers be waiting for pups and we sell a few in online sales and that. Um, these are two retired dogs. Here's one of my granddaughters. So she's 17 now. She doesn't want to be retired. No, look, no. At those, look, look at that uh, face. She doesn't look like she's 17 either. No, she's a... Uh, she, ah, she still gets out and about. A, a personal question now. How old are you? 29. You're 29. Sorry. And, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, when did you take over the farm here? Uh, so I was farming my granda oh, from when I was young. I was able to walk, walk kind of. And then he died in 15. And I started then from scratch. So he gave us three acres there to start with. And leased a couple of farms and got another farm after that then so how much land do you have now how much owned how much rented uh so there's 35 owned and 65 rented leased as on long term seven uh seven year lease is that a brave thing to do not just for a young farmer but for a sheep farmer like the average sheep farmer income is about 16 and a half thousand euro and that dropped as well recently uh listen that was the only option for me whatever sector you go into you have to be passionate about it. There's no good going into a sector you're not passionate about it. It's not going to work if you're not passionate about it. There's money in any of the sectors if they're done right. And if, if you are passionate about them, definitely. Uh, if that's what your interest is lying, I definitely would recommend pursuing that for sure, yeah. I think your, your dad might be, uh, might be looking pointedly at the tea, so I, <laughs> yeah. might, I, I, might, I, might, I might let you go and no, get I some. Don't, don't bother at all. Should we get a cup here now, Anna? That's Thank fine. you very much. Thank you, Anna. And that's Hannah Quinn Mulligan there reporting from Rapmelton in County Donegal. We have Alana still with us. She's going to be playing later on for uh, World Harp Day. Alana, lovely text in already. Exquisite harp playing by Alana. That's from Donal in Castleknock. So say, stay tuned. More from Alana a little while later on in the programme. Now, we've already heard from one sheep farmer in Roundwood in Wicklow about how soaked and miserable her sheep are this morning. I know that farmers with cattle have brought them into sheds around the country and are very busy tending to them. It's been a pretty miserable and challenging week for farmers. But spare a thought for vegetable growers. They can't move their crops, but they have to watch as the rain has moved all across the country. About a 20 minute drive from Middleton, Joe and Sandra Burns have a 36 acre vegetable farm. They grow potatoes, carrots, parsnips, beetroot, sunflowers and pumpkins, providing lots of seasonal specialities. And there have been many sleepless nights this week. And Sandra joins me on the line this morning. Well, Sandra, how are you? I'm not that, Brenda. How are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. I say I slept more than you. How's it been? Um, this week has been a nightmare, to be honest. Um we're in the height of our pumpkin picking um, and with try, also trying to get potatoes out of the ground on Monday, thank God, we took Connor, our eldest, out of school um, Monday and Joan himself got the potatoes out of the ground, but not the beaters. So can I just go back there? Because I'm having this image. So there's yourself, your husband, your kids, the floods. And you're standing at the headland looking down at your potato crop. What was going on, Sandra, in your head? It was kind of devastation, to be honest, because it was, um, if we didn't get the potatoes out of the ground, we we grow um, different colours and varieties of potatoes as well as where potatoes were eating. 
So we make crisps out of our potatoes, which are pink, purple and white. Um, and it was kind of the panic bin. And if we didn't get them potatoes out of the ground, we wouldn't be able to produce crisps. We wouldn't have crisps for the rest of the year until this time next year. And the same goes to the beaters that's in the ground at the moment. Um, and you didn't get so that out? No, not at the moment. Um, mm. yeah. Is there frost predicted, do you know? Because I know that'll be a massive problem. I hope not, because frost would take the beaters overnight. Um, mm. That is kind of the real dread of like, what is what is the forecast for the next few weeks? Um Obviously, like any any farm, any any fields in East Cork is they're completely flooded at the moment. Um, like even before the floods, fields you could hardly even move in them because of the amount of rain that has fallen. Um, bananas kind of all over the summer and everything. But it's like we really need hard, cold, dry, hardy weather um, to get back into fields and. <laughs> realistically probably you need a few weeks of that before you could get back into some fields if you'll be able to get into fields at all um back down around here so Sandra do you have a pumpkin patch picking which is not easy to say at eight o'clock in the morning but you have that on your farm this morning do you think that'll yeah. happen where people come along and the kiddies it's such a lovely thing to do how are the roads around there will they will it will it open um, yeah, we're in our sixth year of pumpkin picking. Um, we're it's our third weekend doing it. Um, Killa, our small little village, which is about two miles from here, was completely flooded um, Wednesday, but it's all passable. And Middleton is just devastated, which is only twenty minutes in the road. Um, all the main roads are passable. Um, there was a lot of panic from customers from our pumpkin picking yesterday. The phone was hopping, the emails, messages, um, but. It is going ahead. Um, we're looking we're up quite high, but still being up quite high, you have roads leading to us, which you know, can cause problems. Um, but at the moment, um, everything is OK and we will be running this weekend. Well, fingers crossed on that. And I, I know you're, you sell some pumpkins into some of the shops in Middleton as well. Now, that's probably gone, is it? Uh, we sell our crisps into the um, super value Hurley super value Middleton will be one of our biggest super values that we stock um, that whole town is absolutely devastated um, we myself and Joe were up to see my mother in hospital on Thursday night and we drove through Middleton um, on the way back and it was just it was just absolutely devastating to see skips outside um, seeing a big huge marquee outside super value in Middleton um, they're doing stock taking of all the damage as all the other shops are um it's a bustling town um like when everything is so fine and everything it's it's just heartbreaking to see every place closed um but then it has the knock and fit to every producer and um joe you know, that is supplying these shops no matter what product you have joe you know, it's not just the retailers affected everyone that is supplying all these stores and little shops to big huge stores everyone is affected in this it's not it's a it's a knock-on effect ripple effect throughout yeah the number of vegetable growers has declined over the past 40 years in the country but I really get a sense from you 
and your husband that you were determined to do everything to stay in business. Am I correct about that, Sandra? Um, yeah, we um, we used to do farmers markets um, around East Cork in Mahon Point, Mallow and Douglas for 13 years. Um, Joe's mum and dad used to um, buy from local farmers and sell at marts and markets for nearly 40 years. And then we took over the growing um, 18 years ago. So um, ten, nine and a half years ago, we had to change and diversify and we started Joe's Farm Crisps and it was we were growing carrots, parsnips and beetroot for the markets and we branched into making crisps and like it has been a long, long road with that. Um, basically, when like we had to change and diversify, diversify because it was when supermarkets were had a price for 10 years for Christmas coming, um, selling veg for five cents. We had to change and diversify. Like the big guys can't produce and sell a bunch of carrots for five cents, not to mind like a small producer. Um, it was the small producer selling directly and also greengrocers that were badly hit that that um, Christmas. So nine and a half years ago, we started the crisps. Six years ago, we started pumpkin picking on our farm. And three years ago, we started sunflower picking. So it's kind of crazy the way we have had to change and diversify, especially for vegetable farmers. Um, it seems to be the only way to go to to hold events and let people come to us instead of we going to markets and stuff. Um, well, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sandra, first of all, you know, I have the gastro gaze. I have Patrick and Russell in studio with me. And they're both nodding because you've tasted mm-hmm. Farmer Joe's crisps, Sandra's yeah, yeah. crisps. And they're fantastic products. They're fantastic, they are fantastic yeah. products. And it's really sad to hear uh, the struggles going on down uh, in Cork this morning. Mm. Very, very difficult to hear. But I'm, what I'm really admiring is the resilience. And already there's a lot of diversity already happening. The events, the opening up to the public. I think that's so important for farmers in general, especially when making products as great as Joe's Crisps. So, you know, really showing people what you are making and what you are doing, I think is one of the most important things. And I think you're I think you're doing a great job. And the fact that you're still doing the pumpkin thing today, good on you for doing that. I think that will really help your soul as well, in particular, to feel a bit better and to support the community. Yes, I I think we need to get some bit of normality after Mm. the last few days. because it was it was crazy scenes. Like I went in to collect um, our older two, Connor and Megan, from CBS Middleton School and St Mary's, just right next door to it. And Is this on I, Monday, Sandra? This was on Wednesday. On Wednesday, Wednesday they, they have a half day Wednesday at one yeah. o'clock. And I think from maybe from about ten o'clock. Like I dropped them in that morning because the rain was quite bad, and I said I dropped them in, and the Baylick Road in Middleton were, was flooding at that stage but being honest that kind of always floods so Joe you Joe it's been I I didn't think it would have got as bad as as it did Joe um I say the lads weren't in school maybe an hour and a half and they were like you need to come in for us and I was like hey you'll be grand you'll be out at one Joe (laughs) (laughs) and I was like you're you're in third year you need to put your heads down in my own mind (laughs) I was like, I'm going to the Cliff House in Ardmore doing a delivery, which I was supposed to until I got a call from a friend and she was like, do not go over Yall Bridge. It's gone. 
And next thing I went on social media and then I saw the wall gone. Gone. And yeah. so it, then it, it was panic. It was like running up to Joe, like get in here, watch Caitlin Twig, went and collect the lads and um went in and collected them, collected another friend's um family because their parent their um the kids' parents were at work and couldn't get out. And we left CBS Middleton at one o'clock and we got home to Killa at half past three. And basically it took us an hour and a half to come from Castle Martyr to Killa, which is normally only two or three minute drive. I know. It's Absolutely. 20 minutes from Middleton to Killa, but it took two and a half hours. Um, and, you know, we were looking on Twitter and uh, Patrick and Russell, you know, you know these people, uh, Drummond House Garlic. Uh, did you see that they described their crop as just watching it? floating away mm. and I know. they are so close to the water as well on quite a flat plane and they just cannot contend if this kind of event happens and they produce like just the most amazing garlic and asparagus and it's just devastating to see entire fields underwater mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. when it's one single product as well that they're really looking after it's real it's a, it's a real kick in the teeth um, and especially as a local producer to us, it's it's very hard to see, especially so close to home. Mm. And Sandra, let's say it's Joe's Farm Crisps.ie. So we want everyone to get mm. on an order. And if the beetroot crisps aren't on this Christmas, don't worry about it. It's kind of a flood special. <laughs> How about that? Would that help? Yes, that would definitely help. And listen, I hope you get a bit more sleep and a bit more rest over the coming days and that everybody going along to your pumpkin picking or all around the country if they can make their pumpkin picking. They have a really nice time. And I'm going to leave you on a little quote uh, from Dorina Allen. And she was at the Food at the Edge event this week. And she said, if people knew the time and the trouble that went into growing a single carrot, they wouldn't waste a scrap. Locally grown vegetables should be treated as sacred. Sandra, we wish you, Joe and your family the best to look and um, remember everybody it's joesfarmcrisps.ie book them out for Christmas if they haven't the beetroot don't worry about it they'll have it the following year we'll take a break email countrywide at rte.ie countrywide on rte radio 1 Welcome back to Countrywide 51551 or countrywide at rte.ie if you want to get in touch. Earlier this week on Thursday, it was a little bit wet and I went down to Doolan in County Clare and I was on Enna Enna Canavan's farm walk. He had an organic farm walk. Fascinating. And I know you guys would be particularly interested in it. But we'll bring you that next week on the show. Uh, So if you're sitting there and I told you it was on Hang on, it'll be on next week. Um, So because I want to talk to our two guests in studio, you've heard them this morning, Patrick and Russell. Now, we are counting down towards Samhain, the Celtic festival that marks the transition to winter, a gathering in the harvest and a lighting fire against the darkness ahead. Samhain is also the name of a festival in Kells, County Meath, from the 2nd to the 5th of November, celebrating Local Boyne Valley flavours with chefs, food writers, arts and producers, local and global. And in amongst the foodies, Patrick and Russell will be shaking and stirring cocktails. (laughs) Now, at the heart of it, 
You are both, well, one of you is a boy from Drogheda. He sure is. He sure is. <laughs> <laughs> and a blow and a, and a boy from Palbriggan. <laughs> and the Boyne Valley is just on your backyard. Mm-hmm. Now, a place with the very best food producers, mm-hmm. in your opinion. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because I can hear them texting in from Cork, <laughs> New York, Gert Hart, <laughs> Maureen Tully up in Connemara. She'll be giving out stuff. Absolutely. But I'm saying Boyne Valley. Why, why are we saying that? It's an incredibly small area. It's a small concentration in the east of the country, but it punches above its weight in terms of the producers the farmers, the artisans. It really, really is a close-knit community around Louth, around Meath. And it really has some of Ireland's best vegetables, cheese, brewers, uh, seafood. It's incredible. And it's, it's a joy to see the area that I grew up in flourish as um, growing up, the food credentials of the region weren't really in the collective consciousness and to see it now thrive as a leading area of the country <laughs> is amazing. Mm. Yeah, we're very... <laughs> <laughs> no, and I'll hear nothing against it. No, absolutely. Like we are very, very proud to be uh, living in that area and there's so many amazing producers right from the sea. You've got your Carlingford Oysters, as you mentioned, oh. Drummond House, uh, Garlic just there as well. Bally McKenney uh, Potatoes, which are, you know, leagues about above the standard potatoes that you'd get in any supermarket. Uh, you got the cheeses, Boyne Valley uh, Blue, if you've ever had it, or the Bon. It's a beautiful goat's cheese that we are obsessed with. Uh, there's so many great producers around the area. Yeah, but here's the question. What does it matter that it's produced locally? I mean, mm. you know, people yeah. say, oh, it tastes lovely, but mm. well, what does it matter? It's that connection between the consumer and the producer that I think in COVID times, that connection got stronger and the consumer understood, oh my God, up our street or in our area, there's so many incredible spreads and um, cheeses and veg and all of these amazing products that I can order in or that I can head up the road and I can collect them. And I think that strengthened the awareness Mm -hmm. of it's so important to support the the producers in your area and to understand the landscape and by you supporting local it helps the local community the local economy it keeps the money in the locality and like to me that is just a win-win and then when we look at it from a lot of our perspective as uh, restaurant critics as well nothing demonstrates the local area better than supporting local producers we can all see on various menus in not places that don't focus necessarily on supporting local. It's just the generic ingredients that could be from anywhere in the world. Yeah, but is a potato not a potato? Never. never. Have I asked that question? No, oh, never, <laughs> never. It's all about flavour. It's all about variety. Like, where do we talk about the Ballymackenny potatoes. Know, but the and standards f- are so high nowadays, even in the mass-produced yeah. potatoes and cheeses. Mm. You have a delicious melting Mont d'Or cheese, which, you know, is not from the Boyne Valley or from Ireland. It's from France. It's stunning. It's the time of year of it. It's only available between October and April. We had one the other night and it was fantastic. Have it with the Ballymackenny pink fur apple potatoes and you'll ha- 
it's the most amazing sensation you'll ever have in your life. <laughs> I can guarantee it. It's a beautiful experience. But I think especially when you look at menus, there's one thing we always are on the lookout. Where is the food coming from? And if it's local, it's worth its weight in gold, in our opinion, just because of that. Especially for tourism as well, when you think about it in that kind of way. If a, if a visitor is coming from England or America and they're able to know that the even the salad leaves, even the cheese, even the oil that's used or the butter is from a farm down the road, Wonderful. It's great. The amazing thing that, you know, just leaps out from both of you <laughs> is you can tell how passionate you are about food, about talking about it, yeah. about the minute details. And you're now restaurant reviewers for the Sunday Times for the last year. Um, tell me, how did you get into that? And what does it feel like? Is it easy to criticise? What are you looking for? I think... Our approach to our column over the past year has been, in the past, critic has been kind of code word for entertainment. So trying to kind of stoke the fire, get a reaction, trying to be a bit over the top um, and hypercritical. And that is valid. But in terms of our approach, it has been Here's a column every week that offers us the opportunity to shine a spotlight. And it isn't just the things that are on the plate. It's the story. Who are the owners? Is there a specific approach here? Is there a specific niche? And it offers us the opportunity to storytell and, of course, absolutely spot any flaws or any issues or any errors. But I think to us, it's a privilege to be able to shine a light in a constructive way, in a positive way and also to shine the light outside of the capital because Ireland has so much happening across the entire island so we have tried our best uh, over the past year to spread the um, inclusions across the entire country and I think we've covered almost half of the counties. You should see the spreadsheets we have <laughs> at home being like we haven't visited this county where are we going? It's, it's, it's you know it, it is You it know is, what fun but I can yeah. just imagine if I was a chef or mm. I was working the tables or whatever and the pair of you walked in I went oh no <laughs> Yes that's the face like, we get <laughs> is it? It Yes is. Uh, It does happen like, from time to time you know, Yes, Can you imagine causing this kind of panic yeah. through the kitchen Yeah You, um, you kind of enjoy that do you kind of, yeah. The thing is like <laughs> as we cross the door there is always that experience of oh god do you let them know you're coming no okay. never it's, it's actually quite never. interesting because we've come from the digital world in particular we started as a blog 10 no god what 13 years ago I think we're together around the same amount of time so I, I probably should remember which one it is um, typical eh Domestic. Uh, I know <laughs> on the radio and all um, but when we, we started out in the digital world and there's a lot of preconceptions about the digital world and a lot of people assume that we go ahead and say hi we're coming to your restaurant to review it it's not like that it is like a secret operation there's names, you there's code wigs. words, we wear wigs. <laughs> this is a wig right now even. And we we try, we we are as anonymous as absolute possible. Okay. But, you know, when these two mugs walk in, you know, quite distinct looking here and there, glasses. I've always thought there. I'd love to have a friend who was a restaurant critic and I could, I wouldn't even, cri- I'd just go along for you the have yeah. dinner. You have us both now. Exactly. Oh, so, yes, exactly. <laughs> Our friends do love them. We're like, do you want to go out for dinner? Yay. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, 
you mentioned there 13 years. Mm. So was it hashtag gastro gaze that kind of lit up mm. your whole new careers that you have now? How did it all happen? Just yeah. take me back to how you met Fod- and all of that. Photo, photo. So we met back in um, DCU. <laughs> Patrick was studying journalism. I was studying contemporary culture and society, both mixed in similar circles within the kind of media societies mm. uh, a year ahead of me. And uh, we just met hit it off and then uh, hit it off or hit it off off uh, I think off <laughs> <laughs> just off at the time and then um, we there's this weird period of about two years where we didn't have hashtag or at gastrogates or anything so we wonder what we ever talked about but we were obsessed with food um, and as time moved on Patrick got a job right here at RTE writing web food in another way, I was working in a supermarket, absorbed by food in every way. And we just kind of got a bit more obsessed with it as time went on. And it was very much the time that people were starting blogs, even just before social media took off. And we just said, let's let's give this a go. Start putting stuff online. And then about, what, six years ago, I'd say, we made it our full-time job. We decided to, we moved back from London. We were living there for a couple of years and we decided to make it our full-time job into content creation, spotlights, even podcasts, audio creation, and just give it a go and see how it can work out. Why do you think it's worked out? I mean, apart from both of you being passionate and likeable and all of those things and taking me for your dinner. (laughs) (laughs) It's a bribe. Um, I just, I think it's just passion and we're listening. We always are listening. We always want to hear the stories and we're really interested. Like, we we talk about food all day, every day. All day, every day? Yeah, it's a lot actually. Um, So we're really obsessed with it and we want to, we, we see a great opportunity. We have a following online and we have a, you know, a respected profile. It's a great use of it to be able to say to people, want a spotlight, let's talk about you. Uh, here's a restaurant that's really great that you need to hear about. And here's some products. We've been involved like at the Blossom Heron Awards for a couple of years as well. And that's one of the best experiences because we get to meet the producers who we admire so much. The stories that you hear on the show in oh, particular, you know. Honestly, <laughs> to actually be out, to be in the fields where they're yeah, sowing yeah. the crops or at the side of the road where they're selling the strawberries yeah. and exactly. everything. Actually, it's 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 a privilege. It is. And I mean that. And I think the food yeah. community in Ireland and the food writing yeah. community, we're, we're all have such an appetite, if you pardon the pun, for <laughs> learning about <laughs> other people and learning about their stories because ultimately as communicators within food, that's our thi- that's our job is to explain the story to people. Now, you're both partners in life. Yes. You're partners in business. Mm. Now, many couples find it very hard to combine both. What's your secret? Oh, don't ask us for <laughs> advice on this because I don't think I would be given the correct advice. I think I think we we operate in a communication uh, industry. Communication is key. And trying to split up the, this is me in work mode, this is me in personal mode and trying to split those two up because I think it can all be a kind of a grey area that um, can all blend into yeah. each it can other. Be, it can be quite difficult and especially um, during the pandemic in particular. Uh, we used to, this always amuses me, we used to go onto Zoom calls in separate rooms and people would be like, are you in different houses? It's like, no, he's in there. I just wanted five minutes away from him. <laughs> Uh, which I'm sure is the story of many households yeah. around yeah. the country. But it was it we it's it's nice when you get to work uh, with your partner, but when they're your best friend and everything like that too, it's it's really special to have 
have all these great experiences. But when you share so much, yeah. uh, you know, of a passion for, mm. you know, everything that you do, mm. I could talk to you forever. But <laughs> I have wonderful Alana mm. here and I really want to uh, hear from Alana. But Patrick Hanlon, Russian Alfred, known as the Gastro Gaze, their book is Hot Fat. The reviews are in the Sunday Times and it's boynevalleyflavors.ie. You can find out more information of their sound festival, including Patrick and Russell's cocktail making extravaganza on November the 4th. <laughs> what better way to spend a Saturday night in Kells I, I, and in the I, most beautiful setting of the Red Chapel as well. If you've ever seen it, it is stunning. I issue you mm. a very quick challenge, which you can tell me later on, a countrywide cocktail. Okay. I will take okay. that on. All right, listen, can either of you play a musical instrument, by the way? No, no completely no. talentless, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not uh, Alana. Alana, thanks a million. You've come in here with the harp for Heart Day. Um, Alana Thornburg, County Mayo. Um, tell me, how did you end up playing the harp? It's a beautiful instrument. Thank you. Um, I come from a very musical family. Um, my father and mother play music and my three siblings as well and my mum played the harp when she was my age so there was always one in the house so there was always that curiosity there so I started off with the piano fiddle and then moved on to the harp when I was 11 And what what, what, what was it that you liked? Was it the tone? Was it the range? Yeah there's something very magical about the sound of it and it's just it's very It's a little sprinkle oh, yeah. <laughs> As you can see Yeah <laughs> um, But um, the thing is as well like as a beginner when you play the fiddle, you start off not very sounding very good. It can be quite scratchy. Whereas from when you start the harp, it just sounds lovely from the get go. So I think that, yeah, it was easy to learn from that way. Yeah. Well, you um, have a performance tonight. You have a yeah. performance next week. Um, you're going to play us out with a piece called Glor Nashi. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so Glornishy means Sound of the Fairies. It's a composition of mine. Um, I recently, You wrote it? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, I did, yeah. So That's I just finished uh, writing a volume of compositions inspired by fairy folklore in County Mayo, which is very niche, wow. I know. <laughs> but that'll be released in spring. Um, well, fairies and folklore, I mean, they go together, don't they? Yeah, yeah, 100%. And there's lots, lots of it in Mayo as well. So it was a very interesting project. Well, I want to say you are going to be performing at October Nights in Ballina Art Centre next week. Yeah. That'll be a big bringing it all back home. Yeah, it's a great festival. I played there last year as well. It's on the 28th of October. And lads, are you doing anything tonight? No. Up and loud? No. Probably probably making cocktails. (laughs) (laughs) Saturday evening, you're uh, with Music Generation in Loud in St. Nicholas's Church in Dundalk. That could be a nice night for you. Don't say you never got nothing (laughs) out of this show. Listen, Alana, thank you so much for being with us and good luck with your forthcoming album. Um, We wish you the best of luck. She's going to perform she for us. But before you do, I want to thank everybody on the team. Harry Buckless was on sound. Amadine Passa Divine uh, was uh, our BCO. Our programme was produced by Eileen Hearn. And thank you so much to Patrick and Russell for coming in and staying with us for the whole studio, our gastro gaze. That's all we've time for this week on Countrywide. Until I talk to you again, it's always a pleasure and good morning.
countrywide on RTE Radio 1. Listen back on the RTE Radio Player.